Chaos as a value in the mythological background of action painting. Action painting, by now a classical phenomenon in 20th century art, still remains a source of interest for research and a source of inspiration for artistic schools to come. Its semantic background continues to be the subject of intense research. The form, whether a chaos of signs splashed upon a canvas or formless fields of color, clearly derives from the intellectual content of painting. For the first time ever, form was totally subordinated to content, signs to significance, expression to the expressing process. The question naturally arises, what meanings are intended? The first step towards deciphering them is to go back to the early semi-figurative stage in the careers of the artists involved. This stage is much less widely known than their more famous abstract age. The semi-figurative stage provided the foundations for the development of the intellectual framework and iconographic premises of action painting. They may also be explained through reference to other related intellectual currents of the time in the late 20s and early 30s. In the context, this abstract signs or fields of color of the second stage are not as abstract as they may appear at first. Rather, they are full of meanings carried over from the first stage, but blended with other meanings inherent in the technical procedures of the more mature stage. This new meaning developed from the artist's fascination with ancient myths, primitive art viewed as a residue of myth, and trends in contemporary philosophy of culture that deal with myths and their content and structure, and that assert their latent presence in the mind of contemporary man. These trends whether postulate that myths are present in modern man's mind, came into existence in close proximity with the intensification of research on myths, which has shown there is an unexpected link between archaic and contemporary man that has itself become an important element in the intellectual atmosphere of our century. C.G. Yoon's theory of culture and his new philosophy of man was crucial to the formation of action painting. For artists who relished Yoon's work and who try to interpret their own works using his psychoanalysis, especially Pollock, the theory must have acted as an inspiration and a confirmation of their own intuition and creative experiments. For them, the theory was not just an attractive, stimulating science of archetypes, but a perspective for viewing art as a particular form of cognition that took place through a dialectic interplay of the unconscious and the generic on the one hand, and the conscious and the individual on the other. The scientific validity of Yoon's theory is not important to our argument. Rather, what is important is the different kind of reality at the basis of the doctrine that accounted for its popularity in the United States. This popularity was stirred up by Jung's repeated visits to America and lectures at American universities and the large number of Amer English translations of his works, and especially the American editions of them. The action painter's contact with the theory 
is evident in the mythography overt in the first stage of their work and latent in the second. Their public statements also testify to their knowing the key elements of Jung's interpretation of myth. Myth has mental significance, is created by the psyche, and motivates it. Jung's theory and the myths it explained permeated the contents of this art. As a result, action painting can be interpreted in two ways. We can do this either by adopting the principle of studying art through its own structure, its particular content, the elements inside it, or we can treat, as we shall, myth and the cultural phenomenon of mythography on the one hand, and action painting as two parallel systems of expression with mutual cross-references. If we treat myth and art as two different semiotic systems, we may adopt Emile Benaviste's method and seek a homology between the two in order to establish correlations between elements of the two systems. In Lottmann's method, one semiotic system is translated into another with a view of finding the equivalent element. In Foucault's terms, this is a search for the field of interpositiveness. Any methodology elucidates only some of the aspects of the subject, and this also applies to our analysis here of action painting, considering the painter's intentional use of myth. Mythical structures are an integral part of these works, and the painters use them deliberately to achieve depth of insight and make the works more interesting. In Foucault's phrase, it is one of the describable systems that may be suggested by the content of action painting. This system becomes useful in evaluating art because it gives the artistic experience a peculiar anthropological and philosophical dimension. Jung's link with the United States dates back to the beginning of the century when, following his work known as an associative experiment, he was awarded an honorary degree by Clark University, and he paid his first visit to the United States with Freud in 1909. He inaugurated his activities in the United States with a series of lectures given at American universities. The number of English translations in American editions increased, and publications expounding his basic theses appeared in the United States, 1920 to 1949, when the principal exponents of action painting were active. The massive immigration of intellectuals to the United States, including European psychoanalysts, which occurred in the 1930s on the eve of World War II, gave further impulse to the spreading of these ideas. The immigrants included the leading exponents of the new psychoanalysis, Karen Horney and Erich Fromm, the latter began lecturing at the Chicago Psychoanalytical Institute in 1933, and as of 1941, he was at Columbia University in New York, where Abraham Gardiner created the famous School of Personality Research. Significantly, in the 1930s and 40s, this research came to be centered in New York, which was also a leading center of the artistic avant-garde. Here, sustained by numerous immigrant artists from Europe, action painting crystallized. The fascination of the artists, especially Jackson Pollock, 
with a psychoanalytic concept of culture and personality was born within this concurrence of events. Given this rapprochement, the reasons for the younger generation's interest in myths and the continual presence of the structure of myths in their own output becomes clear. Other impulses also facilitated contact with the content of ancient symbols. Among them was an interest in primitive art inspired by a degree by European artists. Under the influence of this interest, in America, studies of the American Indians and other such ethnological research developed rapidly. Without the stimulus of the psychoanalytical theory of culture, however, myth would not have permeated the workings of the new art so thoroughly. As a method for exploring personality, including the creative personality, psychoanalysis, particularly Jung's in-depth psychology, was the foremost method for explaining myths in the United States at the time. Incorporating myth into the theory of the nature of human thought and creativity and finding ancient symbolism from the oldest universal myths also present in artistic activity. Present in artistic activity, it revealed myths as a current value in contemporary man's thought as a frequent subconscious source of primitive images and modes of behavior. Mercia Eliade's research also supported the thesis that myth lurked in contemporary man's mind. The illustrious scholar's presence in the United States must have had special meaning. In 1928, he founded and expanded an actual center for the study of myth at the University of Chicago. The areas in which the phenomenon of myth was viewed as a symbolizing activity of the human mind was growing constantly in the United States in the 1930s and 1940s. These included psychoanalysis, studies on comparative religion, intense ethnographic research on the culture of primitive peoples, especially North American Indians, and cultural anthropology. Within this context, intelligent questions were possible, and Edward Sapir, an advocate of contact between anthropology and psychoanalysis, called for such questions in the 1930s. The attempts at working out a philosophy of man was made, and there caused some basic changes in intellectual attitudes towards art. The primary impulses and sources of creativity and the inner mechanisms responsible for the emergence of definite structures and messages in art and literature. Although they attached the utmost importance to essential content, which for them was equivalent to the intellectual con content, the New York artists specified their goals at the very beginning. They saw genuine meaning in the expression of universal, timeless messages that embodied the basic, lasting features of human experience, linking individual experience with group experience in both its historical and present-day dimensions, that is, in brief, close to the total experience of mankind. Following this track of thought and feeling, they proceeded, consciously and instinctively, towards myth as the oldest, most permanent structures of the universals of the human condition. 
In their famous letter to the New York Times of June 13, 1943, and on a radio program in October of the same year, Gottlieb, Rothko, and Newman propounded the importance of timeless symbols. The expressive power of myth, which leads to a sense of union with primitive man, and the basic significance of a theme in painting, with the reservation that the only really important kind of theme conveys the tragic and timeless, which is why they confessed their sense of spiritual affinity with primitive and archaic art at once. John Graham's declaration on primitive art was based on Jung's interpretation of the subconscious in his well-known article, Primitive Art and Picasso of 1937, read by all the artists of the group, Graham ascribed a quicker, more direct access to the content of the subconscious to primitive peoples and their primitive genius than to the so-called civilized ones. He viewed the subconscious as the creative factor and the source and the storehouse of power and of all knowledge, past and future. The art of primitive races has a highly evocative quality, which allows it to bring to our consciousness the clarities of the unconscious mind, stored with all the individual and collective wisdom of past generations and forms. This is a very important element in Jung's theory, explicitly elucidated by an artist. The concept of the archetype was also one of the elements of the theory that penetrated to the deepest levels of new American painting in the 1940s. The interpretation of this concept led artists toward what they were seeking, meaningfulness and substance. There are many archetypes in the multitude of archetypal characters and situations and myths. There is, however, one particular constellation of primordial images to which Jung, among others, keeps reverting because he sees them as central to the structure of all religious myths, and particularly the hermetic constructions of alchemy. Let us try to find elements of this constellation in the early stages of action painting. These elements will also determine the semantic content of the mature, apparently more abstract stage, and will permit us to evaluate their real accomplishments. In order to identify the basic motives behind the painting of the New York School of the 1940s, a thorough analysis of the semantic field of this art is necessary. Such an analysis should consider the fundamental hints in the titles of the paintings, very important here, and the individual figurative motives used by the artists. The frequency of their occurrence will permit us to get the semantic profile of the period. The titles of the paintings from 1930 to 1947 generally refer to the archaic past and beliefs, especially ancient Greek myths and American Indian art. They also refer directly to the structural elements of myth, such as the sun, moon, earth, woman, opposition and conjunction of the male-female system, Pollux, male and female, the concept of the beginning, birth, Newman's genetic movement, Genesis, the break, Abraham. The basic recurring motives include the sun, circles, concentric rings, the moon, a serpent, 
a spiral, a bird, a wolf, a woman, a head or face, an eye or a pair of eyes, a hand, abstract signs, squares, crosses, dots, lines, and numbers. All of these elements have complex symbolic meanings, and the same is true of the organization of some paintings on the totem pole. One group of titles refers directly to ancient Greek mythology. Gottlieb, the rape of Persephone, Pollock, Pasiphae, the Kooning, Orestes, Baziotes, Cyclops, Newman, Ulysses, Achilles, Dionysus, Hoffman, Bacchanalia, etc., and Indian totems, both myth and art. Pollock, Totem 1, Totem Lesson, Totem Lesson 2, Easter and the Totem, Still, Totemic Imagination, Gottlieb, Pictograph, etc. What do these elements presented as visual signs or given as the titles of the meanings? Titles of the paintings mean in the structure of myths. One of the key mythological symbols in action painting is the sun. In a pre-Grecian Pelagic creation myth, an offspring of Euronomy, the goddess of the universe who emerged from chaos, transformed the north wind, Boreas, into a serpent, was made pregnant by him, changed herself into a dove, and laid the egg of the universe. Her children, the sun, the moon, planets, stars, the earth, and all living things hatched out of the egg. Here, the sun is chaos's grandchild, and was hatched from the cosmic egg. It rose out of the confusion of cosmic chaos. This is the source of the basic dualism of the sun and moon, day and night. The bright and the dark side of existence, life and death, sleep. The sun appears as the central element in many Indian myths, as the male in polar male-female system. He is the father of life. The earth or the moon are female. The impregnating deity in the rite of the winter solstice is the sun. Pueblo Indians believe themselves to be the children of the sun. The Zuni believed the earth was impregnated by the sun, and her womb yielded all life and everything for human needs. The Natchez great chief has the title of the great sun and controls the growth of corn and rainfall, as well as other things. These myths emphasize paternal function. The following structural elements appear in solar myths. The gradual emergence from chaos, paternity, light as opposed to darkness, life as opposed to death, or life through death, the symbolic sacrifice of life in the sun dance, the threat of death, a new chaos, fire. These include the basic elements in creation and cosmic cycles. It is not surprising that the sun recurs as one of the most important motives in Indian art and as decoration on objects of daily use. Among the Plains Indians, it occurs in clothing, the ceremonial robes of the Ojibwa. This is the basic symbolism of the motive of the sun and light in the pictures of the first stage of action painting in Newman, Hoffman, Still, and Basiotes later also Gottlieb. The sun also occurs as a ring, 
the ring of the sun, in Greek, kirikinos, the circular shape of the sun. Georgi Keps has pointed out that many ancient myths and medieval cosmo cosmology use the circle and the sphere to symbolize unity or harmony. Parmenides of Ilias maintained that this universe was a sphere. Many myths present the primal state, chaos, as a circle, a sphere, or an egg-shaped mass. Chaos is viewed as a primordial completeness or unity with no division. Creation divides the sphere into two halves, earth and heaven. Paradoxically, chaos takes the form of the most harmonious shape, the circle. The symbol symbolizes the symbol emphasizes chaos as unity, but the myths include an awareness that it consists of a total confusion of elements. The symbolism of the circles and the sphere is multivalent, which applies to nearly all mythological symbols, since they join order with chaos, life with death, day with night, each element with its opposite, with the first containing the second respectively. Jung discussed this aspect of mythological symbols when he describes the archetype of completeness as the circle and all other round forms that produce the mandala, and in the written symbols of the numbers three and four. An archetype is a combination of opposites and is joined to other archetypes, and for Jung it is a symbol uniting various levels of mental life and expressing a web of unconscious threads. The individual becomes aware of these threads during individuation, which is practically the process of self-identity. For Jung, the urge for unity is an ancient need of mankind that results from existential experience, making man overcome oppositions and merge his fragmentary observations in his search for order and universe unity. Marcia Eliade says, that the mystery of the whole is integral to the human drama.